This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free. 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. And we're back for another edition of Lauer After Hours. I am your host, Crispy Meme Donut, Christy Yamaguchi, man. I don't know what I'm going by on Twitter at this point, at Waffle House. We are thrilled to be joined this evening by recording artist and roast master. And I, I feel like this guy has uh, his, I don't want to say fingers in a lot of pies, hands on a lot of guitars. How, how about, how, how's that for a metaphor? Uh, Kelly James. Everybody give it up for Kelly. Woo! Whoa, whoa. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us, man. How's your day been? It's been awesome. I'm so honored to be on with y'all. Um, I just got the greatest introductions from your squad that I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> but I'm good. I'm in Los Angeles right now. And okay. I, uh, I honestly, I'm a California guy. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've lived in L.A. for 20 years. And it's kind of a sad time to be in the city right now, if I'm being sure. honest. All I'm doing, you know, we spent all day just figuring out, you know, all the other places that that we'll go to. And, and you know, these shows are popping up because Florida, Texas, Arizona have different schedules and agendas and political, you know, views than California right now. So right, I'm taking right. shows. I'm taking shows anywhere. Um, you know, I heard Syria and Yemen are beautiful this time of year. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll do whatever at this point to get out of California. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure like Australia and New Zealand haven't had a case of COVID in like, you know, three or four months now or something. So, yeah, I, I don't blame you at all. I, I would be doing tours, tours anywhere I could uh, uh, find a place to, to have me. Um, so before we, we get started with this, um, 
people that are going to look up your name are going to find out that uh, you're a handsome son of a bitch. So let's get this out of the way. Uh, forgive my language. Um, uh, wh- what's the family situation here? Are, are we taken? Are we we married or? Yeah, I'm married. I have two kids, just like Fleming M over there. I'm, you know, one step away from babysitting a kid that walks into my office at any given moment. <laughs> um, I have a six-year-old little boy and a four-year-old little girl. And okay. I'm I'm full on sold on dad life. I love it. You know, I've been working on my fat dad bod every day. Yeah. Getting yeah. And, and fluffier by the minute. And um, yeah, I, I actually, it's honestly the greatest thing is, uh, is being a parent is the parents out there know. And then on the flip side, if you're not a parent, I would say, wait as long as possible. There is zero <laughs> rush. Lemon M feels me over there. Look at that anxiety yes. on his face. You can see it. <laughs> You can just pour through this. I, I say that with the second one on the way. Like, don't rush to put yourself in this position. <laughs> hey, both of, both of you guys have a, uh, a ways to go on the dad bod. Y'all got to catch up to me. <laughs> You're just prepping, early prep. No, <laughs> exactly. The crazy thing is, like, before you have kids, nobody tells you all the absolute insane things that happen once you have kids. Like, none of your friends tell tell you. Like, wh- whoever ha- doesn't have children that's listening to this, they're going to be like, well, I feel like I know everything. And then you're going to have a kid, and all this stuff's going to happen. And sure. I'm oh, yeah, of course that happens. They're going to be like, why didn't you tell me? None of my friends told me anything. There's the absolute <laughs> insanity that goes down when you have children. But not to scare anyone, I would just say, hey, if you're thinking about it, maybe wait a little bit. It's uh, I think my mom told me a long time ago, there is no, as you said, wait, you know, there's no rush, but there's no good time because no matter what age you are, the insanity that comes along with that, the uh, the absolutely wild scenarios you find yourself in, uh, they're going to find you one way or the other. And another thing, I, I'm a stepdad to three boys myself. So I've uh, I've I've watched my, my middle one is 18, just turned 18. Uh, youngest one is 14. Um, something I realized as a parent, you know, be, becoming a stepdad, none of our parents knew what they were doing either. Like having that perspective, (laughs) realizing that I'm just flying by the seat of my pants 99% of the time, having to make decisions on the fly, but also having to convey some sort of uh, uh, confidence in those decisions. It's uh, it's absolutely wild. Totally. Every time I like parent and I tell my kids to do something and they actually do it, I'm like, damn, I can't believe it. (laughs) It's the best feeling in the world. You feel so powerful. You're just like, I can't actually clean that dish. Oh my God. You try to like, you try to play it back in your head. Like, what did I do right to try to get it right next time? And it never works. Enjoy it while you can. After a while, it's like, I'm just talking to myself. So enjoy the power while you have it. Kelly, uh, so so switching gears here a little bit, can you tell us a little bit uh, about your your musical career? And I, I watched some of your your videos over the past week uh, when when Beep uh, told us we were having you on, and and just give give a quick rundown of, of basically the worlds that you you travel in with your music career. Yeah, I mean, I've probably had one of the weirder music careers that <laughs> exist. Um, you know, completely unplanned. I went to I went to school here in Los Angeles, USC. Fight on! Where's my little crew out there? There we go. That's what I'm talking about, Jeff. Um, Jeanette, too. All right, we got two Trojans. Um, I majored in business, so like for me, my parents didn't want me to play music. I loved it, but you know, I just I was never like the best singer or the best guitar player. Um, and so I kind of. 
graduated college and thought I'd take a crack at it. So my whole approach to music was pretty unconventional. Um, you know, right out of college, um, you know, I got offered like the worst record deals. Like, I mean, here's a dollar and we own everything for the rest of your life. So, you know, I, 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 I essentially like decided to do it all on my own. And I created a fake human named Michael Galvin that was me. And I would just book myself all across the nation. I'm like, I got the hottest artist in LA. His name's Kelly James. My name's Michael Galvin. And, and I would just book myself at colleges all across the nation. And I started like playing all these private shows at sorority houses and fraternity parties on the weekend. Um, I got Oakley as my first sponsor and then like all these other brands. And I didn't know, to be honest with you, um, it probably wasn't until like maybe three or four years ago um, where I just felt like it was going to end next month. Like I was just like, man, right. I'm just going to party as hard as I can and just, you know, have so much fun at these shows because, you know, that insurance job that's waiting for me on the other end of the rainbow is <laughs> getting real close. And so I just, I don't know, I just kept playing and playing. And my whole approach to music was just, I'll do anything. Like I'm only here to have fun. I never, right. and, and it's probably, I would look at it like, you know, I guess from a pure artistic side, like you could look at it as like, oh, like that was your strategy. My strategy was I'm just on this stage to have fun and I'm trying to make people have a good time. I don't, I, I don't care. Like, we'll, I'll sure. do whatever. Like we could sing whatever you want right now. I'll sing Britney Spears covers all night if that's what you want. And that's going to make the party great. That's cool with me. And so I just started playing with that mentality and it opened up a lot of doors and it allowed me to go find these white spaces that existed where nobody else was playing music. And I was like, well, sure. I can't go head to head with Jason Mraz, John Mayer, Jack Johnson. Like they'll beat me all day as guitar players and singers. But if I go over into this little venue, you know, vibe over here called the PGA tour or, you know, private corporate, you know, brand deals and all this stuff and just go have fun. I can do that. And nobody else. Little, little vibe, little vibe, PGA tour. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, no, no. Like that is a, that's a, a very specific uh, uh, niche that, that you have like uh, carved out for yourself. Can you tell, can you tell us a little bit about the, your, your relationship with the PGA tour? Yeah. So a complete accident, if I'm being honest, like, again, I would play any show anywhere that my buddy, Michael Galvin would book me at, you know, and it was just me, I'm running this whole thing. So you right, say right. yes to whatever. And for any musicians out there, anybody who knows musicians, like at the beginning, like there's no money in music. It is so hard to like generate positive revenue and like really have net profits each right. month. You got to say yes to everything. And like, you're playing a lot and grinding it out. So I found myself in all these crazy situations and I forget where I was, but I had signed this deal with Oakley and um, the guy who uh, ended up like doing the deal for me, he was like, I played the show. He goes, so uh, how much does uh, your show cost? And like, at that point I'm like 22 years old, like the most I'd ever made is like a thousand bucks for a show. I'm like, Oh man, like, what do I say? So right. I was like, I was like, I'm going to start high and I'm going to just negotiate down to the middle, you know? And I was like, I was like, a thousand dollars and it was like silence on the end and i was like you know but i could do it for like less if there was like product he's like your show's a thousand dollars the thing i saw two nights ago was a thousand dollars i'm like no but i mean for oakley i'd do it for like 500 or like 300 or like free or like whatever you wanted <laughs> he goes could you sign a multi-show deal if i sent it over this afternoon and i was like well Holy you know shit. i'd have to check with michael galvin but i'm pretty sure i could get that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just uh, let me check with Michael. He's in the other room. Hey, Michael! <laughs> Michael! Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh man, that's fantastic! What a story. So he goes. He goes. I want to buy seventeen shows, and I'll pay you two thousand dollars a show. 
and I thought I won the lottery. Like I was literally oh, jumping up shit. and down. I was at yeah. a truck stop outside of Topeka or something. And I was just, it was the craziest thing. So we become friends five shows into it. You know, I got 12 left and I'm so pumped. And I'm like, Hey, Red Bull approached me about doing shows. I was like, I'm kind of thinking like, maybe I should like quote them the same or maybe like a little bit more. And he's like, let me help you with that negotiation. Um, when I cleared it with my uh, VP of marketing, um, the budget was 15,000 a show for 10 shows. For you. <laughs> um, so we're going to renegotiate your deal. I'll help you on the next one. And I was like, Oh, um, really and he's like yeah i was like so does that mean that maybe we could renegotiate the oakley deal I was like absolutely not but i'll help you on the red bull deal and so <laughs> just those little moments like i didn't know and i was just playing shows yeah yeah on stage and wanted people to have a good time so with that said i was playing like the u.s open of surf or something like that for oakley this dude rolls up he's got long blonde hair board shorts the whole thing he comes up after the show he's like you know i was ripping on him because he had like a titleist hat on or something and i was like hey man what's up he's like dude i have a foundation like would you like to play my foundation event i was like i, I know i messed with you but like you definitely don't have a foundation like look at you and he's like no no, no i'm a pro golfer and i was like yeah and i'm a freaking nuclear <laughs> physicist like well, okay and so it ended up being charlie hoffman who you know back in the day had the wow, law yeah and so I roll up to this dude's party in San Diego and it's all blue blazers and like khakis. And I'm like, oh man, I can't do this. I'm in jeans. I'm like 23, 24 years old. My degenerate band guys, like, you know, they don't, you know, they probably haven't showered that day. Like we're rolling in this thing. I'm like, I can't play this show. They're going to hate me. And so he goes, no, no, it gets cool. They do the live auction. They kind of usher the blue blazer crowd out. And then we roll up and this whole thing like flips over in, in, in like within a matter of 30 minutes, all these young guys had blue blazers on. They all kind of just get into normal clothes and this party goes bananas. And this is like pre-social media and like it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I just remember being like, you know, just with all these young golfers that I had no idea. Professional golf meant nothing to me. And, you know, I just remember being like, damn, Charlie, your friends are awesome. I was like, these dudes have so much fun. I was like, this Dustin guy over here, he's amazing. Like, this dude is awesome. <laughs> I mean, he's the best <laughs> anyone. And so, you know, just different deep different characters and guys that yeah. I met and I, you know golf meant nothing to me I just found out that there were a bunch of cool dudes that were just great humans happened to make like a lot of money and had a ton of fun and were in great places and that was kind of the beginning of the the relationship with just golf in general wow what a story that's fantastic man you you literally got got discovered you, you were like the the it's kind of like the cliche, like kind of discovered a diamond in the rough story that you see in like the movie or the, the television show. Uh, that's that's great. All right. I'm going to throw it over to Beep. He's got some questions for you. Go ahead, Beep. Yeah, what's going on, man? Good to see you. Long time no see. I know. How you been? Good, man. It's been, what, 13 years, something like that. Long time, man. <laughs> Um, first question, did you fire Michael Galvin immediately after he messed up the uh, negotiation for the Oakley deal? Well, I took a life insurance policy out on him first. That's a heady play. He should have he been fired. He, um, he, he was good to me for a long time. And it was funny because I'd have people... And I, I used to I used to try to kind of change my voice on the phone because I had a separate phone number, separate email. I took my roommate's social like pictures and made separate social media profiles. And like people would like come, you know, and it, it didn't happen a lot, but maybe five times people would be like, hey, um, will you will you let Michael know that it was a pleasure working with him? And I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. I'll tell him. Gotcha. Fantastic. Um, so 
this this question kind of goes back to how we actually first met. You're playing a show at at our fraternity house. Yep. Um, what is the saddest show that you ever played? I mean, I've literally played everything you could think of. Like, if if there is a situation that you could think of, I've played it. And what it could be anything on planet Earth. I mean, I, I, the the real bad ones you block out of your memory unequivocally, but. I mean, I'm trying to rack my brain on just the saddest show. It would just have to be some show, and every musician knows this, like where <clears throat> like people just don't care. Like, and there's like a line of like, oh, people are having fun and partying. Like, there's that line, and then it like definitely goes into the next level of like a situation where truthfully people don't care. And then there's the real dark, sad side where like people literally want you to stop playing music. <laughs> 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 It would don't forget don't forget the uh the venues that come up to you and ask for money from the band the the pay-to-play venues oh, pay to play. yes God, done, it's the worst. Done, been caught in that situation a few times <laughs> I, would, I would say this let me I'll, I'll put it out like this and again this goes to any musician or anybody who has a musician friend the saddest show honestly if you're getting paid a dollar or you're have positive revenue somebody's going to give you 200 bucks and you need to go play some three-year-old's birthday party like you'll go you're like all right dude i'm making 200 bucks the saddest part to your point is kind of that pay-to-play scenario and the metrics of the business go a variety of different ways but essentially when you go to play a venue and nobody shows up and that's the absolute worst feeling and there were a couple times on the road where we tried to, in my like traditional touring days, you'd roll into like a venue and it'd be like a 500 capacity venue and you'd sell 92 tickets. And that place just looks depressing. Like you don't even want to be there. You're like, yo, I'll give everyone their money back. We should all go to a bar down the street and just hang out. <laughs> this isn't going to be good for any of us. Um, though that's the saddest. Cause at that point, like mathematically it's not working. Like you can go play some convalescent home and you know, get paid X and it's like, okay, cool. I got paid X. I, it was transactional. But when you put yourself out there and nobody shows up, that's the darkest, saddest show. You can get. <laughs> I, I would counter that with one thing is doing a show where nobody shows up, but you went with one person you knew and they watched you as nobody show up. Like to me, that was always the worst. Like Perfect. nobody showing up and I could lie about it when I went home was okay. Yeah. Yep. Nobody showing up and somebody you that was close to you. That was, yeah. yeah. Unless that person was Michael Galvin. But yeah. <laughs> And you just make him go get pizza and uh, he comes back. But no, that is, <laughs> or even worse, like you go by yourself thinking like, okay, this show is going to be, it's not really selling well. I hope people show up and you go solo so that you can go home and lie to all your friends and say it went well. And then those two random people that like went out of their way and they dressed up and they're ready yeah. to like, come to this fun thing. And they roll into said venue, whatever it is. And no one's there. And you're just like, oh my God, I'm, 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 I'm going to sell insurance tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here, here's kind of a question on the flip side. What's the moment or what's the show that you remember? We're like, holy bleep. I've made, it. I can't believe that I'm playing this show with this person, or I can't believe this person knows who I am. Yeah. I mean, you know, a band that was my favorite band, at least one of them, top three for sure. When I was in grade school and high school was this band OAR and it was like Dispatch, OAR, like Ben Harper during that little zone. Then like Jack Johnson, Mayor Moraz kind of came after all that. 
Um, but OAR when Napster was like in full, full, full swing and I'm dating myself here, but <laughs> that was it. Like that, that, that was like, I just love that band. I love Dispatch and I love OAR and all my friends. That's what we listened to. And so it was probably again, 12 years ago, I, I don't know, whatever the number is, 11 years ago. Um, and my brother and I, we were on tour together and we were playing a show at like Arizona state. And this girl was like, Hey, there's this thing, the Phoenix open and there's like some concert and I'm like, okay, cool. She's like, I have like these VIP blah, blah, blah. And we roll into this thing. And I remember just like coming through the back of the venue and we're in this VIP area. And again, we're talking these days where you have $0 and you know, I'm just like, oh my God. And I, I listened to your podcast with Sarah Spain and she was talking about like, when you have no money, you get nothing for free. And then when you can afford all of it, you get everything for free. It's just <laughs> this crazy dichotomy. And I remember having no money, but going back to this VIP area and it was like open bar, like super high end booze and food and sushi and all. And I'm like, oh my God. And OAR is playing on stage. And we like had the craziest, like just little night. And I turned to my brother and I was like, hey, if we work our asses off for the next year, we're gonna be back in this VIP area right here. And we like made a little deal. And I was like, next year, we're gonna be back in this VIP area. And one year later, I was on stage with OAR opening up for them. And like all my friends had flown from Northern California. It was like 5,000 people. And I just remember like standing on stage, looking back at the VIP area being like, wow, that, that was a cool turn of events. <laughs> you didn't yeah. see that one coming. Um, but the, uh, that was probably one of those like little special moments. And, um, you know, they were awesome. They took me on this summer tour. I got to play Red Rocks with them. They let me sit in with them at every show. And so those moments are special just because like you're going childhood and then you're going like present and the future of like these dreams you had and you just smash them all up into one little moment. You're like, this is what I never thought I'd be able to do as a kid. I'm actually doing this thing now that I thought would never happen in the future. And, you know, those are the moments that, that are pretty special. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot. Crispy, back to you. All right. Thank you, Beep Count. I'm going to throw it over to Flem and them. Go ahead, Flem. Yeah. What's up, Kelly? First, appreciate you joining us. But uh, I wanted to ask a question because I listened to your music and admittedly for the first time over the last few days. And there's this kind of mixture of singer, songwriter slash hip hop influence. Right. Uh, so when you were 13, 15, we'll just use that age range to help you out here. Who was your favorite artist on the singer songwriter side? And who was your favorite hip hop artist? And then who are those two people today? That's, that's a great question. Um, so 13 to 15, you know, it would probably be, if we're just talking singer songwriter, you got to go like, obviously everything kind of sprouts off of Dave Matthews. Um, you yeah. know, Mraz, Jack Johnson, Mayer don't exist without him. And then everybody after that, um, which was actually kind of the turning point for me was that by the time I got into the zone to like go tour and all that, the market was so saturated with singer songwriters that it was just like, okay, everybody's a singer songwriter. Um, you know, I tried to do something different. That was my thing, but I had always listened to hip hop music. So I was always trying to find a way to put that into, you know, the guitar playing in some capacity. Um, in terms of like straight hip hop MC, I was always a Tupac guy. I mean, anything West Coast was a thing. Obviously, Snoop was like just the vibey dude. Like, you know, that was like, I don't know. There, to me, there were like two different entities. So those two were kind of my foundation where my eyes got big and it was like, oh my God, wow. But probably like in the 13 to 15 range, I mean, and this is going to sound weird, but like, 
I know everyone had like a little DMX phase. Like there was a point on planet Earth Hell where yeah. nobody better than DMX. Yep. Um, so it, I'm just go back to like 15 years old playing basketball with my buddies. I just know we listened to a lot of DMX. But for me, it was always Pac. Like, you know, it, that, that, you know, I think I, I forget when he died somewhere in the 97 ish zone. So I would have been that age that time. Um, I don't know. It, there was just something about it that, that always, you know, it, it really just, uh, it connected with me. Um, you know, the California thing, he, you know, he spent a majority of his life Bay area and LA between those two places. And I don't know, it just felt authentic to me on multiple levels. And then today, Oh, tough question. You know, um, the, the music that I'm really into right now that, you know, if we're just going to go genre without getting super specific, you know, country music is like just like kind of doing doing it for me just in terms of i would say the last year of my life um it's just great songs like they're just and maybe the songs are just more traditional and they've kind of taken over for singer songwriters and rock music which kind of don't really exist you know sands like ed sheeran and foo fighters i guess you could say and you yeah. know a handful of other bands but I mean, you know, country music, it's just perfect music. It's the best songwriters. It's the best musicians. It's the best mixers. It's the best producers. It's just the best. And there's certain guys out there that are, that are just crushing it. Um, you know, been fortunate to, to hang with, with a lot of dudes that, um, you know, I really respect and look up to on the, on the music side. Um, but yeah, throw down like who's ever just to me, it's like, what's the next great country song from like a young dude, be it, Jake Owen, Morgan Wallen, Cole Swindell, Brett Young, like roll down the list, Chase Rice, like you, any, any of those guys that are just out there, you know, singing great songs and, you know, Luke Bryan, obviously you can say whatever you want about, you know, some of the popular songs, but like, they're just good songs. Like my kids love them. I love them. And I always say this, it's super hard to write those songs. Like you can call a song, like go write the Macarena, like good luck, like go write <laughs> who let the dogs out, like yeah. good luck. Yeah. everybody thinks they can just go write, you know, uh, Gangnam style. Like, okay, try it. I can, uh, give yourself a thousand chances and you won't like create that thing. And for some people it's accident. I get it, but it's hard to write those little poppy songs. So I would say those two things. And then on the hip hop side, I mean, there's just so many good rappers out there. I mean, just so many, um, you know, I guess for me, the one that connects the most and it's probably because there's like a lot of, you know, being a father now, like I hear things in different ways. So like, you know, what I used, you know, pre-kids, I would hear certain lyrics and they would hit me this way. And now they hit me differently. You know, it's like I have a daughter now, like music sounds differently now knowing I have a yeah. daughter in this world. Um, so, you know, I'd probably have to go with Chance the Rapper just lyrically. Again, I feel like there's just that, I don't know, there's a parental kind of overtone to his music lyrically that I don't know, I connect with. Um, and then again, I mean, the list goes on. There's so yeah. many. Yeah. No, you can definitely hear his father's political influence in his lyrics and that he came from kind of a more directed lifestyle than I think most young hip hop artists. But uh, if I don't, if you don't mind, I'll ask one follow up that's very short. Which was your preferred genre first? Was it the singer songwriter or was it hip hop? It's a great question. And I think I always kind of like, went back and forth but the music and i know like the moment i can see the visual in my head like where the trigger flipped where like you know your parents listen to a bunch of music and you're kind of like 
you're listening to that because it's in the house. Like my dad was Sinatra and my mom was Motown and like that was their thing. And the first music that I heard and the first visual, and I can literally see it right now, was um, Axl Rose stage diving. And I want to say, I forget, it might have been something on Appetite for Destruction. I forget what the album was and the song was, but like just that whole Guns N' Roses thing was it for me. And then it was like quickly thereafter Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Um, but that was the first music that just went boom. I don't think that my parents would have let me listen to um, early, early hip hop, like late 80s hip hop, like because that wasn't their thing. Um, right. So I wasn't exposed to it. So I would say like that grunge rock thing. And then right after that, I mean, you know, like when, when I heard like NWA for the first time, I was like, what is this? You know, like, yeah, and then you hear Snoop. Like, I just remember that first album just being like, oh, my God. And then Dre, Pac, Biggie, you throw all the rest in there and. You know, that was like, that's where hip hop. So they were kind of side by side, but the first one's Guns N' Roses, not even a question. Cool, man. I appreciate it, man. Hell yeah. So, uh, Kelly, I got to give you a shout out for naming DMX as uh, as as the rapper from when you were the I, man, I used to I used to be able to do a mean, mean DMX impression. Um, I've still got so many of those lyrics uh, memorized, committed to my brain. I feel like on my deathbed, I will still be able to uh, rap uh, DMX <laughs> uh, when I'm when I'm when I'm when I'm an old man. Um, so hold on. You, hold on. You don't get away with that. When one X going to give it to you. <laughs> one one time go ahead no oh you want me to do that no no no, no. I, i'm thinking I, I got blood on my hands and there's no remorse and i won't finish that line uh but i know everybody knows what the next one is so i'm oh we we, we lost you you got these dmx gotcha <laughs> oh no oh. x just gave it to me by muting my you slipped uh, you my... fell and you got back up <laughs> Thank you, Flum. Uh, you you just said something about uh, your, your your parents mixing genres, and I grew up. I, I've I've used that exact explanation to explain like kind of how my musical taste were formed. My my dad plays uh, dulcimer, uh, lap dulcimer. So I, I grew up on a lot of bluegrass, a yeah. lot of old outlaw country. Uh, my mom introduced me to Motown at a young age. Uh, just the, the, that Detroit city, that classic Motown sound and uh, the temptations were, were my, my favorite band growing up. Uh, the first cassette I ever bought was Charlie Daniels greatest hits. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I listened, my, my wife is a huge, we listen to a lot of Avert brothers uh, around here. We're, we're in Carolina as, as they're from as well. Um, and then, of course, like when I was around 13, 15, I was getting into heavier music. So like I was listening to a lot of Sabbath and, and Metallica and and getting into that genre. So that uh, that those three distinct genres came together to kind of form my, my musical taste. So it's interesting to hear other people's influences from their parents, especially. It's so cool that like now with music, you can because essentially it's free to make, you know, there used to be just such, there were so many barriers to entry just to make recording, right? Yeah. Where you literally yeah. had to sign your soul away because it was so expensive to make the product. Now you can make the product for free and it's just right. awesome to see, you know, just young artists now who, who don't even think about genre really. Like, it's just like, okay, cool. Like I like hip hop drums, but I like, you know, um, singer songwriter kind of melodies and harmonies and I might throw in some stuff from Motown and it's like it's all cool and it's all it all works and 
Um, I think that's the beauty of where we are right now on the music fan side is that we can get so many cool pieces of art that are just yeah, mashups yeah. of everything, you know? Love it, love it. it. It's right. one of the best technology inventions to help capitalism at the lowest level is the ability to build a studio in your home. But go ahead. I just think it's an underrated advancement of technology for capitalism. No, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, all right. I'm going to throw it out to Jeff. Jeff's got a question for you. Go ahead. Hey, Kelly. Um, so again, I have no insight into all of this music talk, so I'm going to ask about USC stuff. Um, so I was just doing a little bit of math in my head when you were saying about how old you would have been when Tupac died and whatnot. And does that mean you were at USC when Reggie was there? Oh boy. I was there when Reggie's there. Reggie's a good friend. Um, those were some years. I mean, that I was going to say, like, what? I mean, all right. So, granted, obviously, extremely biased, but greatest football team, college football team in the history of mankind, as far for my money, the <laughs> Reggie Bush, the Reggie Bush Trojans. What the hell was it like to be there? That I mean, that's part of the reason I went to USC was watching Reggie. Yeah, I, I mean, I got I was there in the sweet, sweet, sweet spot. Um, I was there 02 to 06. And um, so we had Carson Palmer who wins the Orange Bowl our freshman year. And then, I mean, you know, just all those dudes were com coming in. So they were all freshmen. Like Leonard was a sophomore when I was a freshman. Like, I mean, it was just a wild little, little time. And I think when you're in it, in that little kind of those little dynasty runs, like I'm sure, you know, what it must feel like to be at Alabama or Clemson right now, um, you're just, you know, you just believe every game that you're going to win. It's like not even a question. Like I was in at Notre Dame for Bush push and like even fourth and 10. And you're just like, Oh, well, we're for sure going to win. I mean, how could we not, you know, there's 22 seconds left and it's fourth and 10 and they have 80 yards to go. What could go wrong? Um, and I don't know, there was just a belief. And I think the players believed it, um, you know, was close with the Carroll family for a while, like Pete's energy through that whole time. Like, I don't know. It just, it was so magical, um, and you know, you look at that young coaching staff at the time, Kiffin and Sarkeesian, and I, everybody just thought they were going to win. It wasn't even a question of were, were they going to win or not? Um, I rewatched that Texas USC Rose bowl, um, national championship game. I was there. I know it's, a, it's a, it's a tough subject for a lot of Trojan fans. I look at it the other way. I'm like, I was at at least, I mean, that's top five foot college football game of all time Absolutely. you can put it wherever you want in that and i would argue it might be the number one college football performance of all time by an individual shout out to vince young i'm a trojan yeah. guy i was there it was heartbreaking but like if you really watch it objectively like that dude carries on his shoulders and so i don't know like even with that people were just like wait a minute how did we lose that like that's not possible um but it was special that was a real man that like like I was there just after, like I graduated in eleven, so I was there for like the first game we we actually lost to Stanford, and I remember it was just after and and the whole fan like every single person in the in the student section is crying, yeah. like bawling because we just didn't understand like wait what do you mean we lost to Stanford was that the Harbaugh one where you they were underdogs by like thirty four points that that would be the one yes. Yeah. um that was, a uh, that was that was rough um so the other qu quick question i had for you is um when's your boy ricky gonna get one you know i i played with him two weeks ago and um he's in good spirits he's you know striking the ball well 
I mean, there's just so much competition out there now. You know, these dudes are so good. And, you know, I don't, the, luck is the wrong word to use, but, you know, stars have to align to, to line up a major. I mean, you know, we, we've seen the, the, the greatest not be able to, to convert, you know, I mean, like think about just the legends of golf that, you know, really couldn't convert, you know, I mean, there's the obvious ones, you get the Greg Normans and all that, but like, I mean, you know, Phil in, in the U S open, like Phil Mickelson, one of the most skilled humans to hold a golf club in the history of the game. And like, you know, has been close so many times, it's just hard to get it done. And even finishing top five in those tournaments is, is miraculous. Fowler had that year where he finished all four in the top five. So he's right there. You know, things just have to line up. The body has to feel good. The game has to feel right. And you gotta get, you know, you gotta get a little lucky. You know, those 20 footers have to fall a little bit more consistently than, you know, the other weeks yeah well i'm pulling for him man for for my money i think he's got the the prettiest putting stroke in the game it's just very concise and small and i like a lot of there's not a lot of extra movement in there it's wonderful um anyway um i'm also a, a usc marshall grad so again appreciate me getting to dork out on some trojan stuff because i usually i to get shit about it so Right it. on. Thank and, you much. And that's in too. And USC is so polarizing. It's just, and it's, it's kind of great because you're sort of the Darth Vader of um, surely everything west of the Mississippi. Uh, but it, it, it was a good place. And I hated USC when I was a kid. I was a Stanford fan. I just like thought USC was the worst. And then I went there and I drank the Kool-Aid and now I'm, you know, bingo. I'm all in. It's good Kool-Aid. All right. Back to you, Crispy. Thank you, man. Thank you, Jeff. All right, we're going to throw it to Jeanette. I think she's got a, uh, a golf question. Go ahead, Jeanette. Uh, thank you. Well, actually, I have uh, two questions, if you don't mind, Kelly. Thank you so much for being so wonderful tonight. Um, this whole time, I've been looking at your wall, and I see all these wonderful things that are framed. There's a Ryan Braun jersey. Won't get into that as a Dodger fan. <clears throat> to, you know, But then I see these gold pants, and I'm just like, what is that? So could you please tell me about your gold pants? Yeah, I got these little gold pants over here. Um, it goes back to the Fowler thing. Um, met Rick when he was, you know, first year on PJ Tour. And like I mentioned before, when I was getting into the PJ Tour, the beauty of, you know, just golfers is they're just all great guys. And golf is so humbling as a sport. Like there's some egos out there, but there's really not. Like you can't have an ego and play professional golf. It, the the, the <coughs> are great. <coughs> <laughs> a little shout out to p reed you know i mean you know every everybody needs a villain but even p reed like you know if if, if p reed's a humble dude at the core of him he's you know there's some things that go on in this little world is what it is but my point being you meet all these guys they're great dudes I met fowler when he was you know just a rookie on tour and um we just ended up crossing paths in like so many different ways all the way you know throughout his rookie year so it was you know, just the same events that we were on. He was kind of on the circuit where, you know, he was doing a lot of like the appearances and stuff and I was doing them and we just kept, you know, hanging out and running to, to, into each other all, all, all the time. And so um, I made I made him this guitar and it was like this orange guitar and I had like all this, you know, Oklahoma State stuff and, you know, he won Rookie of the Year and all this stuff on it. And um, 
I had made a joke because I, I call him Elvis. And, you know, I was like, I was like, you know, I was like, you know, all orange. And it was some stupid joke where like, I was like, oh, I gave you a guitar. He's like, what am I going to do? Uh, give you my driver or something like that? I was like, no, I just want those stupid orange pants you wear on Sunday as like a joke. And then, you know, at the end of his rookie year, he was like, here are the orange pants I wore every Sunday. <laughs> and he signed them and, it was, you know, he writes this little joke on it. And it was, uh, it was, it was cool. What an awesome story. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> So he literally gave you the pants off his legs. <laughs> awesome. I have uh, I have Ryan um, Josh so, on uh, on the wall too. No, 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 no. We don't need to get into that. So my question is, um, I I am not a golf person. Uh, have never played, never watched. So if you were trying to convince me, this is how you get into it watching or going to an event what would you recommend uh that's a great question and or even uh or even a golfer like to just fan girl for and just be like this is my guy this is my girl yeah so on on the on the surface level um golf sucks and i always thought that and I am addicted to the game now. I used to be a 20 handicap. I'm down to an eight. Like I'm addicted to the game, but golf sucks. So like, let's not take anything out of context, but golf sucks. Now with that said, now I've just made that statement. Now listen to what I'm going to say on the other side, because golf sucks, it makes it this like unbelievable game that you will never conquer. Number one, the biggest reason why golf is so appealing is because Anybody on planet Earth can play evenly against each other. Now, I'll clarify that. They have this thing called the handicap system, where if it's done right, it makes every single match between two humans completely equal. So it takes my last 20 scores, and it takes your last 20 scores. They've messed around with the math, but we'll make it simple. And I get a handicap, and you get a handicap, which means that mathematically, you could play Tiger Woods in a round of golf tomorrow for $10,000 a hole, and mathematically, you should tie. Now, it just depends on who's going to play better that day. That's the beauty of golf. There are, you know, a million people that I play, like, different sports with. I surf with certain guys. I play pickleball with certain guys. I play tennis with other guys. I play, you know, pick up basketball with certain guys, ski and snowboard with certain guys. But everything's not equal. Golf is the only thing that I can go and play against my dad head to head. And we can actually have an unbelievable time together, have a great match. And theoretically we should tie, but it depends on who plays better that day. And that's what makes golf so beautiful is that, you know, for amateurs, it's the only game that has an equal playing field. If I go play another way, a tennis player who played in college, it's not fun. There's nothing fun about that where, you know, if I play you head up in the handicap systems, right. Golf is so good. Now, in terms of viewing golf, they got to do a lot on the broadcast side to figure out how to make golf more interesting. I think micro betting needs to be in there. Um, they really got it. I mean, I know they've toyed around with that, but like micro betting has to come around hard in the next 18 months. Um, they have to figure out ways to create better personalities on the PGA Tour. 
and guys have tried. Fowler's done a great job, but like they, they need a little bit more fanfare. And, you know, it's got to be more like the NBA. And, you know, I think there also needs to be like an education piece on, you know, how hard golf is and how good these guys are at what they do. Um, you know, that's something that I don't think the general public really understands. Um, in terms of getting into the game, I think top golf is like the best thing to do. Um, but at the end of the day, if you want to get into golf, you got to take lessons. You know, you can pick up other sports and other things by just kind of figuring out yourself. Golf is too hard and you, you got to take lessons. And so, you know, there's got to be a way to sort of demonstrate to people that like that you don't need to spend a crazy amount of money, but you just have to get somebody who knows what they're doing to teach you. Because once you feel a proper golf swing, I mean it's 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 magical you know i mean that's why all us idiots spend so much stupid time and money um over and over again playing the game because it's magical once you kind of get in the group all right, all right. and a uh, recommendation as to who to fan girl out over Ooh, that's a on good the tours one. a guy or a girl um, Brooks Kepka, right? It has to be Brooks Kepka. You got, you got to watch Brooks i mean the the i i do like a lot of different like you know, Q and A and from panels to just side conversations with tour players. The guy that everybody loves to watch is Rory McIlroy. Uh, it's just, he's the guy that just has like that magic little thing. So I would say Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka for sure. I mean, just cause he's gunning, you know, all the time. Um, and then there's some personalities out there that are just like awesome, funny personalities. There's this dude, Harry Higgs. He's amazing. Max Homa is amazing. Joel Damon is amazing. Three guys that nobody's probably heard of, but like if you go and like do any kind of research on them and follow them on social media, you'd be like, these dudes would be your best friends. Not even a question. They're funny. They're self-deprecating. They're unbelievable at their sport. And you know, they're just good dudes. The PJ tour truthfully needs to do a better job about highlighting those kind of guys. Pat Perez is in there. It's just like a out of his mind, just funny human being. Like he's just amazing. I also uh, like uh, watching John Rom get really pissed off. That's a fun one too. <laughs> Those Spaniards, dude, the Spanish blood, man. Sergio <laughs> Rom. I mean, Kelly, uh, real quick. I think we kind of, we, we missed this, this element. Some of the videos that I watched of you on the PGA tour are of you freestyling and roasting people. Um, I, I watched one of you roasting Adam Sandler before he teed off. Uh, can you give a little, just explain uh, that, that part of what you do with the PGA tour? Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier in the podcast where when I was playing music at the beginning, my whole thing was like, I just want to have a fun time up there. And all I care about is that everybody in this room, in this venue, in whatever, has a good time. So the freestyle became my way to connect with an audience, regardless of what kind of music they liked or if they knew who I was or didn't, or it didn't matter. I could go and connect with someone through the freestyles. And so that's just what I would do kind of like as a, I don't know, not on a whim, but like kind of accidentally almost during the early part of the shows, it was sort of like a safety mechanism to get out of a weird situation or just connect. Then it became part of the show on stage. And then, you know, guys started to see it and they would want me to do it in different capacities. And um, I ended up kind of creating this thing um, that we call T-Box Freestyle. And I did it at um, the Madison Club, which is part of Discoveryland. Um, this guy, Mike Melman, who's a close friend, you know, cr created this kind of magical little world with these resort style developments and anything goes. And so he was like, cool, why don't you just rap on the T-Box and you can just mess with all these dudes that are playing in this tournament? 
And it wasn't just like any dudes, the first one. I step up on this tee box and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like nobody's really told me what to do, what not to do. I've just played a show in, like 45 minutes in the morning. Like I thought that's what they wanted me to do on the driving range. And I was like, wow, I've never played at 9 a.m. on a driving range for all these people. And it was this whole interactive thing. And, you know, all the tour players were there. And then they're like, no, get out on the first tee. They give me the tee sheet. So they just give me the names of everybody that's playing that day and the times that they're playing. And the first two uh, fivesomes roll up and it's just one A and one B and they're going to tee off behind each other. And it was in one A was Phil Mickelson, um, Clooney <laughs> and Meldman and Randy Gerber, Meldman and Clooney started Casamigos. So they were playing together. Cindy Crawford was riding with uh, Randy Gerber. And um, I think it was like Greg Kinnear was with them. And then wow. the next one was Jerry Weintraub. Uh, Andy Garcia, Larry David, and Larry David's agent, and I think it was like Webb Simpson or somebody was the the tour pro. And I'm just standing there on this tee box, and my band's kind of behind me. We have like this little setup, and they're just staring at you know these ten guys are staring at me, and I'm staring <laughs> at them with this tee sheet, and I have no idea what. To do. And they're just looking at me, and I like turned to my drummer, and I was like, "Yo, just just play something." And he was like, "Well, what do I play?" And I was like, "Play something." And so he just like plays this little beat, like. And I just start rapping about these guys and ripping on them. And like, truthfully, like, I'm not like this, like super funny roaster kind of guy. Like, you know, there's just dudes that have one line for everything. Like, I'm not that human. And like, I don't even like being made fun of. Like, I don't like making fun of people. But this whole thing just became about me making fun of people. And it's almost like a different human in my head that's up there. And like, I'll just say whatever to 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 who's ever on the tee box. And like, most of the time, like, I'll end and I was like, yo, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, it's just because it's not really who I am. I'm not like Jeff Ross or someone where like, I just love roasting people, you know? Um, but that was the beginning of it. And truthfully, I did that show at Madison Club. And I was like, wow, thank God I'll never have to do that again. And then we did it the next year. And I'm like, you know what? It's going to be this thing that I do once a year at Madison Club, because who would allow a dude to rap about people and rip on their swing and the whole thing? Well, who would allow that at a, at a golf event? Maybe, you know, just Melman at Madison Club. And then like four years later, I just remember standing on like the, the uh, tee box at the Safeway Open PGA Tour event on a Wednesday. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. It's a PGA Tour event. And then one year later, I'm just standing on at the LA Open at Riviera. And it's like, you know, watching Tiger Woods walk up to the tee box. And I'm like, I'm really going to do this right now <laughs> Jesus, you know um so you know there's just kind of a funny progression and again it just came out of the fact where like I, you know i never do did music to to satisfy some like crazy art thing where it's like screw you these are my songs this is from my soul mine was like yo you want to have a good time today because i do because i'm like 14 days away from selling insurance here so um <laughs> let's just like party and like i'll make fun of people and then we can drink after and Hopefully, both of us don't get fired tomorrow. Uh, oh, can I follow up on the freestyle thing? And one, can we quit making the insurance reference as a failed musician who's an insurance sorry, executive? Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. You're good. Thank you, though, for thank you for five times tonight just ruining my soul. <laughs> no, you're good, bro. You're good. Um, you know, the crazy part is that, like, I worked insurance in college. So, like, that thing was always right there for me. And I just always use it as, like, you know, that was the job that was sitting there waiting for me, where it was like, I, even in my in my head, I'd be like this, well, you know, I'll just go get this job that's sitting right there. No knock on insurance. And shout out to anybody who's in insurance because y'all make so much money. You get that book of business rolling and then you just sit back and chill and, you 
know, I'm, I'm envious. Yeah. I live on a golf course and can't play golf. So we're a little different, but, um, my question about the freestyle was this. So I know it's called the freestyle and that's like a typical label with a lot of short clip reps, right? Originally, it sounds like you were actually doing true freestyle. Like you were just trying to figure something out on the spot. At, at what point did, did you stop freestyling? Because at some point freestyling is a very dangerous game, right? Because it can go south very bad if it's viral and horrible. So at what point or how early was it that you started kind of realizing I need to probably have a few pre-written things to throw in here? Never. Never. Really? That's Never. impressive. Okay. Never. And I, I will say this. And that's why, like, you know, you you see, you go watch a video and you'll go, oh, blah, 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 and a freestyle. It's like, well, there's two different things on freestyling. Like, freestyle is like somebody comes in with a written verse, but the topics are just kind of all over the place and they can say whatever they want. And then dudes that, like, actually freestyle. Um, and that's, like, you know, something that I've always taken pride in is no pre-written lines and no fallbacks and there's two things that i used to fall back on number one swear words it's so easy to be impactful when you drop f-bombs like everything just like magnifies because you're dropping f-bombs um but it's kind of cheating and then number two i used to have like if i really got stuck like if i really was in a spot and i needed a punchline, then i would go back to like two or three sets of lines and like one was like the dumbest line but like if it was like at a college party or like a sorority or there were like girls in there i'd be like you know uh you know uh, Jeanette's over there looking at me like I'm insane. I'm looking at you like tomorrow, walk a shame or some stupid line like that, right? Like something along those lines. I don't know. <laughs> it is something dumb, right? And so, and that was like a fallback. And then it, you know, you use that a million times and then you realize like you're cheating and you're not, you know, you're not freestyling. Like the whole point is to be off the top. Like if you're not off the top, then it's not real. Number one, number two, the tightrope walker at the circus, it's only scary and only makes you go like this if they fall once in a while. So you got to fail, like you got to crash and burn or even crash and burn within the freestyle. So if it's a four minute, five minute, six minute freestyle, like, you know, yes, everybody wants to be perfect the whole way across. Like, that's the point, right? Like, that's your what you're striving for. But like, falling and failing and missing lines like shows that it's real and you know to me it, it i will never ever ever pre-write anything like i might think about things and like you know you just kind of go through the cycles like i know i'm gonna play an event for the golden state warriors so like of course i'm gonna you know read all about it and like text my buddies that play on the team and be like oh tell me some funny stuff but like in the moment like never because you what what happens is without going into too much of a rant if you have those lines that you're trying to go for and you're just looking right here, right here, I'm going to get this line, you're going to miss everything that's going on in the moment. You're going to miss all the funny stuff, and that's the magic. The magic is the moment. The magic is truly being able to, like, walk the tightrope and say, like, cool, whatever comes to me tonight is is fine. And it's really hard to cope with when you're kind of going month to month, and, you, again, you don't know. you Things can go viral, and you might say something stupid. But once you kind of build up, like, the trust in yourself and the ability to know that like okay cool if i have a night where my freestyles are off who cares like i'm gonna be be able to play tomorrow um but yeah for me it was never and still won't ever be written because you just lose the magic cool appreciate it man all right i'm gonna throw it back to beat so kelly going back on the on the freestyle can you do a t-box freestyle about us yeah yeah for sure all right okay uh so we have two uh we have two ways we can do this um, and I'll 
I'll, we can obviously start whenever you want, but we can either do it off the chat window or you guys can just tell me stuff. Because I assume since it's an audio podcast, it'll be better for, for the listeners if we do um, all audio, right? Yeah, well, we, we can roll we it can, uh, I, I can I can screen grab this yeah. as well. Yeah, I, I, I think that, yeah. that makes for a better audio I, clip. I, 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 right. If we screen grab this and you roast us visually, I think that's a cool visual clip that we can put out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I can do, you know, so like when I do these virtual shows, the kind of hook to all of them is that like, like y'all are typing in the little, uh, the chat window. Um, you can type whatever you want in there and I can use that in the, uh, in the freestyle or you can, um, it just depends on wh what kind of medium we want this to translate to. Um, you know, obviously if it's, if, if you guys are pushing out video content, if you want to use this, um, you know, video wise, then I don't know. Right. No, I'll, I'll give my advice and yeah. beep. You can overrule me as the executive. I don't think the chat would work because the audience isn't going to know what we're putting in. So I don't think that it would make sense where we went. Well, no, I think, I, cause I, I've got the, the video as well. So yeah. we're, we're, we're good there. I can post this on either our Twitter or the Instagram. So we're good. Yeah, it's a, it's totally up to you guys. We can do it off the chat window, or you guys can just say shit, whatever you want. Let's go. All Let's right. go. You can just say shit. Let's yeah, go. What, what do you? What, 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 oh wait, I, do you want to do the freestyle thing where we throw you subjects and you freestyle? Well, uh, I thought you were roasting us. That's why I was scared. I'm a little confused now. I'll do, I'll do, I'll, I'll do it all. I'll do it all. Okay. Well, Beef, you sound like you're ready for this. I'll let you run it, and then I'll we can all I'm sure figure out where to go from there. Yeah, Flem roasts us enough in the chats uh, already. So, like, he, he's locked and loaded. He's got plenty of ammo on all of us. I'll, I'll take one for the team. I don't mind. You can roast me. Yeah, yeah let's. It's all, it's all like it's all it's all it's all fun and light. It won't be heavy. I promise. All right, this is how we're gonna do it. I need each of you to give me a uh, a random word, but I need you to think about the word first and just make it super random. And um, but we'll start it off like this, so you can help me write the music. I just need one of you to give me a letter A through G. Any letter A through G? E. E. There's an E chord. I need another letter between A and G. A through G. Anything. F. E. C and F. Was that what you said? Yes. C enough got you all right all right here's the e we're gonna do f sharp minor for the music nerds out there and uh it's gonna be c flat for the extra music nerds y'all know that that's actually b but that's what we're gonna do i'm gonna throw an a in there just because it's the a team right now all right get your words ready what do you got Testicular cancer. Yep. <laughs> All good. Lemons. Confetti. Pirates. Pirates. Ah, Flem, you got me. <laughs> Damn it. Why? Well, you got to tell me why pirates. You both said it at the same time. <laughs> the show. Uh, I'll let you have pirates. I'll take something else. Bald eagles. Okay. Bald eagles. All right. Check it out. 
fighting over pirates i ain't talking about pittsburgh phlegm over there thinks that i write all these words no they're freestyle sometimes they're good though sometimes i'm an f minus you know how it goes bro but i don't care honestly yeah you see like i was a cancer survivor like jeffrey and it's all right though maybe he wasn't i don't know but they say you got one ball in that chat now bro that's all i gotta say and it's okay you feeling like a little pirate every time someone plays that song and it's all about two ball you know what i'm saying right now shout out to those who golf now we just gonna talk about this party yeah you see like i was throwing confetti with this squad and we got the vibe going on and it's true yes you know now i forgot the other topic because i'm laughing at you jeff though i hope you didn't have testicular cancer and if you did man i apologize sir and my dad he had it and you know it's not great but you know i just gotta say i can't wait just to get back with you all and just talk about it though two dollars over there flamamem though we talking about two dollar in the chat room Jeanette's over there why you laughing at me you are sitting in that dark room there we go and we got beep like t-mobile please pay me i get like two grand a week from t-mobile yes yeah, so they can just go and see me behind this background yeah that's the vibe thanks for me having me out on this thursday night the crew you're the best and we gonna just ride on this little freestyle vibe all damn night talking about michael galvin i had to knock him off i told him he got test canceller and had one ball testicular canceller it's hard to say it's a tongue twister see phlegm it's not okay to make any rhymes that were written yeah you know you gotta fall off the freaking balance beam so they know that it's all made up and yeah it's never written Jeanette's over there and she's probably far from smitten she's like who's this guy rapping on my freaking podcast Jeanette can't even look at me cause she's gonna laugh she's like over there and she's there clapping she's like who the hell is this dumbass white kid rapping on this show you know my flow though and honestly how much I care that's zero I'll say whatever I want to and yeah you see so all I gotta say is thanks for having me cause this is the vibe Thursday night yeah you know thanks for having me here on your show Boom. yo give it yeah. up for fantastic and Hey man, so I, I don't know if we plugged you enough at the beginning. I know you said you were chilling in certain states. I'm in Dallas. Are you coming to Texas and Dallas? And even if not, where else are you going? We want to make sure everybody that does listen knows where you're on the road to. Yeah, I mean, kellyjames.com has a lot of the stuff. I'll be in Dallas for the Byron Nelson, that PJ tournament in Dallas in May. Um, but yeah, we're bouncing around. We did this charity tour last summer um, called the Million Meals Tour. We donated 1.5 million meals to Feeding America and uh, partnered with Steph and Aisha Curry and their foundation, donated $350,000 to them. So I'll be bouncing around everywhere this summer for sure doing that again. Um, but yeah, Kelly James Music is Instagram. That's usually where I put most of the stuff up. But um, again, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It was our pleasure having you. And uh, uh, are you on Twitter? What are the social media are you on? And where can we send our demos to you? <laughs> <laughs> We, we we can all start a band. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. Over Zoom, except for right? me. <laughs> no, we can get the tambourine like Linda McCartney. <laughs> bang bang bang. Jeanette, you got the little Yoko Ono vibe. You know, you can just we'll start the band. You can ruin it. You know, I, I can <laughs> yell as long and as loud as you want. It's cool. Someone will dig it, and I'll make a couple bucks off of it. 
and the byron nelson's next door so me and beep will be there because it's the golf course right next door so yeah we'll be there dope let me know we'll have you guys out to the show um but yeah it's uh kellyjames.com twitter's your boy kj but instagram's really kind of the only thing i put time into so kelly james music there Okay, well, everybody go follow him. Look up uh, his music. I'm sure it's on Spotify. I know it's on iTunes. Um, I'm sure it's everywhere. It's fantastic. And Kelly, thank you so much for joining us this evening and, and spending this time with us. On the count of three, I need to thank you, Kelly. One, two, three. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Appreciate it, guys. See you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars.